Welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, Michael Sherlock. We all have potential, but sometimes we need inspiration to get us to our peak performance. Whether you are starting out in your career, ready to move up the corporate ladder, or taking the leap into entrepreneurship, Michael's guests provide powerful tools and resources to shock your potential. Shock Your Potential is a global professional development training company committed to your unique journey. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and download our free Shock Your Potential app today. Listen in to today's expert. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am, of course, your host, Michael Sherlock. And all month long for June, I'm doing something that is making me so happy, and that is starting to dream again about traveling, traveling the world and finding places that are not just amazing to see and great adventures, but really feed our soul. And my guests today are going to feed our soul <laughs> in a little bit different way. <laughs> and they're Ed and Natasha Tatton, and they are the founders of a lovely little bakery called Bread, maybe not spelled the way you think so. So just, you know, keep that. I'll just make sure you look at the show notes, although we'll tell you a little, a little bit about it. But I want to just give a little bit about their background. So they're originally from the UK and they both worked in hospitality a long time. And in, uh, I don't know, 2013, they decided, let's just pack up and go to Whistler, BC. And I don't know, snowboard for the season, see what happens. And they both worked in hospitality. And during that time, they said, hmm, maybe it's not a bad idea just to stay here and try something new. So as they created not only this desire to bake incredible bread, but to really do so in a way that is truly farm to table, that's really about um, being more careful and caring of what we eat and uh, looking at plant-based uh, diets in particular, they came up with a concept that's doing really well for them. But I uh, was snooping around on their website and I found a couple little things. It says, things you may not know about Ed. Let's start with that. He's been a footman for state visits at Buckingham Palace and Windsor Castle. Now, here's the other one. He once put out a fire on a London underground tube, uh, which is the, like their subway, with his feet and saved many people's lives. And he's cooked for DJ Jazzy Jeff from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, of course. Now, things you may not know about Natasha. She grew up in foster care in Southeast London, went to, and she became vegetarian at age seven. Now, this I really love. She's surfed around the world in places like Bali, Australia, Portugal, and Mexico. Get this, she can't swim. But now this last one about her, I think would, for me, need a lot of therapy. Her first job was working as a clown in children's parties where the kids either chased her around for hours to fight her or ran away screaming. And all she got paid was five euros an hour. So <laughs> I love it. And Natasha, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. I love the little tidbits about, about your background, but you know, let's really start and talk about bread and you know, I know you guys are great adventurers. So I know as we talk about different places in the world and, and specifically about Whistler, which I shared with you before we began taping, I'm originally from kind of that part of the world on the, you know, US side of it. Okay. But what possessed you? Tell a little bit about the story about bread, not just what you have now, but how bread became what bread is. Uh, I've always worked as a chef and loved food since a very, very, very young age. Loved baking with my mom. You know, she would always make, if it was someone's birthday at school, when we were five, six years old, she would get me in, in the kitchen and we'd make cakes for everyone in the class. So it was always that sharing and enjoying food together. 
and we'd always sit down as a family. And I trained as a chef at college, always worked in fine dining kitchens and, and loved the sort of process. I never worked um, with packaged foods or anything like that. All the restaurants I worked at, um, we made everything from scratch with, with really good quality ingredients. A lot of the time it was organic. Um, and then eventually I worked at a restaurant where we made bread um, to serve to the guests and, and just grew to love that. And then, and then moved into sourdough about 12 years ago. Um, and just love the simplicity of it. I love the sort of fermentation side. I'd already made a bit of beer and things like that with my dad. Um, so kind of love that sort of natural process. Um, and then it just it just grew and grew from there, really. When we moved to Whistler, I worked at a restaurant that they were buying bread in and I started the program there. Um, and it just sort of snowballed, um, <laughs> excuse the pun for bit in Whistler, um, and started making sourdough for friends. And they were like, we want to buy this. Um, well, the, he started the ferment that he created in Canada. He started that when we had to summer off our jobs, because at that time, Whistler had a bit of a slow season between the skiing and the biking. And so we spent some time on Vancouver Island going to mm. different farms and working uh, on farms for, for board and food, basically. Mm -hmm. But... Um, Ed started making sourdough for the farmers that we would stay with. And it got to the point where we were carting around this huge bag on wheels, like a trolley, a cart that had like all the different flours in and the ferment and then like the seeds. And we'd get to the farms and we'd say, they'd say like, this is the trailer that you're sleeping in. And we'd say, okay, that's nice. Do you have a fridge? And they'd say, what do you need a fridge for? We're gonna feed you in the farmhouse. And we'd say, well, We've got this ferment and they said you're carrying around a ferment and we're like yeah we're mm -hmm. going to make you bread in the morning and and he would make bread for the farmers and we traveled around with this sourdough culture so, <laughs> so I, it picked I up lots of energy <laughs> i love that and you know um throughout my life there's been various times when in my family we've had ferment going around and many years where i was making sourdough and i love it and i love especially in winter in this the smell of it in the in your house when it's sitting on the counter it's it is to me just it's like heaven and what we've seen during a pandemic is how many people decided to start learning how to bake bread it's yeah. it's really something that that makes us feel safe and secure and happy yeah. and cared for in times mm -hmm. of turbulence absolutely i think it's it's it was a great movement sort of in 2020 where People could, they had that extra time. And even though now they may not have carried on and make sourdough, I think everyone has a higher appreciation of the time, mm. you know, and the skill that goes into it. Or maybe they are making one loaf a week and they do buy a loaf from their local baker as well. So it's been really nice. I mean, definitely through our social media channel, through through Instagram, especially, um, people are, you know, asking us all the time for more tutorial videos, sending me questions. Um, and that's a really nice way for, for me to connect um, with people all over the world and try and help them out. And like you said, just give them little tips and things. Um, and mo all the time, actually, everyone's really appreciative and, and it's, a really, it's a really nice connection. I love it. Natasha, what, what prompted, you know, part of the little uh, tidbits in your bio was about becoming, uh, you know, vegan or vegetarian, one of the two at, at age nine or seven. I just forgot all of a sudden. But tell me a little bit about that. Um, as a child, I was just a natural vegetarian. I didn't enjoy eating meat um, and I was kind of forced to. I had quite an old school upbringing and 
my mother and my grandmother, they would say, you know, you sit at the table and you're not getting down until you've eaten everything on your plate. And I would literally sit there for about two hours chewing on the same piece of chicken. And then it would be, then I'd get told, okay, it's bedtime now. And I think it just took them a few years to just accept that I wasn't going to change. And so eventually they, they sort of felt guilty, I suppose, that I wasn't getting much playtime in the evening. It was kind of dinner and it was a long drawn, painful process for everyone. And then it was bed. And so eventually they kind of accepted it. Um, and then it's funny because when you're about that age, you start going to visit farms with your with the school. They do like little visits and you start to actually learn that um, the meat is animals. And um, and I remember being told that if you didn't eat that, that you were vegetarian. And so I sort of gladly accepted that label. But it was it was very difficult as a child being vegetarian, because if you went to somebody's house, um, they would cook generally meat. And I remember saying like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't eat meat, I'm vegetarian. I had this word that I associated, I had this label that I was really proud of, I'm vegetarian. And I remember like a lot of people would like, especially the dads of these other families would say like, get some meat in your girl. And it was very hard. And, um, and I just kind of stayed true to my, you know, I, I couldn't, I just didn't enjoy it. And then as you get older, you start to learn more and more and I think it was really when I was about mid twenties, I actually watched a documentary on um, how they farm chicken. Mm -hmm. And even though I wasn't really eating, I did I did start eating a little bit more um, chicken and fish when I met Ed, but mainly it was if I was in a social situation where there was no vegetarian option. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I was kind of trying to be adult and fit in. <laughs> and then when I watched this documentary about chicken, battery chicken farms, it was horrific. And I thought, this is probably why I didn't like this stuff. I probably had this innate sense of it. And um, I think that sort of started a trigger um, of learning more about animal agriculture. And, and it's, it's quite shocking, like when you start to scratch away at the surface. I know most people don't want to know about that. And why would they? Because it's horrible. But um, for me, it's just been a journey of learning. And I just feel much happier in my life now, um, staying away from that kind of stuff. So I know not, it's not for everyone, but uh, that's just my personal journey. And it's interesting because um, now you think about many places where you go, you know, ten, even 10 years ago, the vegetarian option, you know, at a conference or at a restaurant was here's some pasta with some sauce, kind of like a, yeah, we don't know what else to do. So here's something. It was but literally now, a mushroom risotto every time. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but now um, I think that not just because so many people are more aligned to vegetarian or, or veganism, but but many people want to incorporate that more in their diets. And so it's not always just somebody who's vegetarian that picks that vegetarian option, but because restaurants, I think, are doing such a better job of having Absolutely. incredible options, there are things that are very appealing to a lot of people. But even 10 years ago, I remember thinking, boy, it would be really tough to be vegetarian when that, you know, those are your options you get is a hunk of meat mm -hmm. or a piece, you know, plateful of pasta or risotto. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's moved on a lot. And, you know, there's some amazing mm -hmm. restaurants all around the world now. Some of them have yeah. even been given Michelin stars in different yeah. places. I think there was a restaurant in France within the last year that got a Michelin star. That's almost unheard of to have a French mm -hmm. fine dining vegan restaurant with Michelin star. I mean, what, who would have thought that? So there's definitely a lot of um, progress in that space. Yeah. Now, oh, <laughs> excuse me as I'm coughing. 
Now, I know you guys have traveled a lot. So what do you think, you know, my concept of, you know, or my business is called Shock Your Potential. So thinking about all the travel you guys have done and, you know, also the different people that you've met who come to Whistler to vacation, what do you think travel does to help people truly shock their potential, whether it's personally or professionally? I think from a professional point of view, as a chef, I really enjoyed um, traveling and working. Um, we worked in uh, Australia and New Zealand, um, both for a year, and and both those countries have a, a a huge influence from from the Asian countries, and do sort of a good fusion mix. So, from being um, from my background, I was sort of French trained, very classic sort of cooking. Moving over to to Australia, sort of opened and broadened my sort of um, look at food and the way that I cook now with sort of flavors and textures and things like that. And I've carried that over also into my baking career now. Um, so I think it's really like shaped me as a, as a chef slash baker, um, which has been really good for me. I've really enjoyed it. And then also talking to other chefs in the profession who've maybe worked in other countries that I haven't been in and that brought ideas to, to the menu and to the restaurant. I was really surprised. I'm sorry, I'll let you go in just one second. I was really surprised. I went to Australia in the 90s and I did not expect to have such Asian fusion in the food. I was really, I don't know why I didn't think about it or expect it, but the combination, the culmination of the flavors of countries that are so close together was phenomenal. So Natasha, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, that's okay. I was just actually following what you just said there about the Asian food. I'd never tried wasabi. I'd never seen it before until we went to Australia and we went for a meal in this restaurant and they put down a platter of food. And um, I assumed the green sauce in the middle was guacamole, like a very creamy, neutral flavor. And I had a cracker or something and I scooped up that guacamole and Ed realized what it was, but before he could stop me, I'd I'd put like a whole tablespoon of wasabi in my mouth. (laughs) And you can just imagine the reaction I had. And it was so oh. funny. And and I, I actually can't eat wasabi at all now because it takes me back to that, <laughs> that moment. But yeah, how funny. I, and I thought, what the hell is this? And Ed said, oh, that's wasabi, it's Japanese horseradish. And I thought, oh my God, how could I have mistaken that for guacamole? <laughs> so yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It's quite, I did shock my potential. <laughs> so that reminds me when I, when I went and I tried Vegemite for the first time, cause I was oh. like, okay, I'm going to be there. I'm going to have Vegemite. And I, the first bite, I was like, I can't handle this. But after I was there for a week or so, I was putting it on toast. I don't know why. I just figured <laughs> you don't want to stand out. So I'm going to put Vegemite yeah. on my toast. It was disgusting, but oh, well. <laughs> I think only Australians like Vegemite. And um, I think it is disgusting, but I think that they, they feel Australian when they eat it. And it gives them that sense of you know, pride for their country or something. It must be something like that because it doesn't taste good. I thought it was just a dare. I thought they were just saying, what can we do to the stupid American who came to visit? Let's make her eat Vegemite. <laughs> I and showed also, them, I kept eating it. You read on the, the website about me not being able to swim, um, but I surfed in all these places. So that was never intentional. That came about because of travel. Yeah. So um, Ed is a good swimmer. All of his family swim really well. Um, we went to Australia and it was his 21st birthday and he really wanted to learn how to surf. So I found this surf school on the on Western Australia coast and I phoned up the coach and I said, would I be able to like accompany him 
uh, Ed, but not actually do the surfing, but just hang out on the beach. She just wanted to sunbathe. I just wanted to sunbathe. (laughs) (laughs) He really wants to learn how to surf. And it was like a week long program. And the coach was this super Australian guy. Think like Steve Irwin, if you remember him. And he's like, Tesh, what do you mean you're not going to get in the water? You've got to get in the water and surf. You've got to give it a go. And I was like, I can't swim. And he said, neither can I. And he was adamant that you didn't need to know how to swim to get on a surfboard. Yeah, just don't and fall off. Like, That's all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I was kind of like, this guy's pretty crazy. But in the end, I sort of said, well, okay, I'll, I'll try. And he said that you could stand up in the water where they, they start learning for about 200 meters. So I wouldn't, you know, be out of my depth. So I said, okay, I'll give it a go. And then within three days, I think he had me in what they call the green water, which is mm-hmm. behind where the waves break, which is the deep bit. And it was yes. quite terrifying. I remember the first time he took me out, I was sitting on the board. We were waiting for the sets to come in. And I literally just fell off doing nothing. <laughs> and I just kept falling off the board. And then I eventually got my balance and a big wave came and he went, this one's for the coach. And off he went and he left me at the back of this deep water, sitting on my board, just terrified, just constantly falling off and getting back on again. And he came back and I remember saying to him like, you left me. And he said, I had to get that wave, Natasha. I had to get that one. But anyway, he got me on the big waves and um, or got me in the, out the back and I, I did manage to surf and it gave me a lot of confidence. And yeah, um, yeah. I did eventually buy a surfboard and I kept it up for many years. But I have to admit, then I found snowboarding. And and so I found that was a much easier sport to to get in. (laughs) I love it. I actually uh, took a surfing lesson, uh, I think it was five years ago. Uh, Friends of ours got married in Costa Rica. And I'd always wanted to do it. So I got lessons for my husband and I. And uh, and it was funny because I... he's, you know, really talented and athletic and he kept falling off and I was doing great. And on my best wave, I looked down and I don't know what kind of fish shark or dolphin or whatever, but it was, it it was as long as I was tall and it went under my board and I went, (laughs) I'm like, I'm done. Yeah. That thing could eat me. I don't know what it was, but I don't even care if it's a tuna. I'm not letting that thing near my toes. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny, like the fish, when you're in the water with them, they seem a lot bigger. When you're on land and you're looking at a fish, it doesn't seem that big. But when you're in the water, yeah. I I agree. (laughs) Well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsor and we will be right back with Ed and Natasha. Solopreneurs and small businesses often struggle to create effective digital marketing programs. It's hard to know where to start, what to prioritize, how to sift through confusing information and solutions that seem too good to be true. Agencies and full-time marketing employees are also expensive. And Marketing You is a modern marketing course with all the tools, education, and accountability you need to grow your business without that extra set of hands or high overhead costs. At And Marketing You, you will learn exactly what you need to do to execute a concrete marketing strategy by dedicating just two to four hours per week. And Marketing You will help you to execute strategy, messaging, content marketing, SEO, social media, paid digital advertising, and more. You'll have access to on-demand resources, live courses, group coaching sessions, community forums, and networking, plus the exact templates and tools you need for success. 
I took this course myself and one of the greatest benefits we gained was learning to develop a competitive strategy that aligned our social media playbook and website to generate highly qualified leads. For all the tools, education, and accountability you need to grow your small business at a fraction of the cost of hiring a traditional agency or additional employee, go to www.and-marketing.com forward slash you. Again, that's www.and-marketing.com forward slash you. And use the code SHOCK to receive 10% off of any program. And we are back with Ed and Natasha, and we are talking about, obviously, packing our bags and getting ready. And you guys have shared some great experiences about how your travel has you know, helped your careers, how it's helped you to introduce, you know, introduce new flavors to your cooking or new concepts. You've met different people. You've, you've carted around your, your uh, sourdough starter all, all over the place with you. I love Vancouver Island, by the way. It's a fantastic place. Um, but I know we want to talk about, you know, places that also, you know, people listening will go, Hey, I want to go there. And I know that you guys are in Whistler, which is amazingly gorgeous. I've never been in the winter though. I've only been in the summer and uh, did a little light hiking, um, but not much. I was kind of in between going some places, but um, talk to me, you know, anybody who's listening, who's never been to Whistler, whether they're a, you know, a person of the winter and the snow or the summer with, you know, mountain biking, you know, tell us about Whistler and why somebody might say, Hey, I really want to add that to my, my bucket list of travel places. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> when we were actually in Australia, one of my best friends was here in Whistler and he raved about it and always like spoke so highly, knew he was snowboarding. So eventually once we were back in the UK, it's funny, he ended up going to Australia and we came to, to Whistler <laughs> and the intention was come for six months to snowboard and then move to Montreal because obviously it's the French part of Canada and the right. very good food scene. So we were like, perfect, we'll do six months in Whistler, six months in Montreal. Well, seven years later, we still haven't got to Montreal. Yeah. And we've lived in Whistler the whole time and we love it. They say you come for the winter and you stay for the summer. Um, the summer, like you said, is absolutely amazing. You can swim in the lakes, um, there's golfing and hiking. There's so, so many activities that you can do here. And we just fell in love with it. We fell in love with the, the community, but then also what the sort of tourists bring to the, to the village. Mm -hmm. We have over 2 million visitors a year, um, but only 12,000 um, year round residents. Permanent ones. Permanent residents, yeah. So, wow. I mean, it's quite a small community and it's great when you do have the, the downtime in between the sort of seasons um, and you recognize faces around the village and things like that. But um, it, it's an amazing place. I mean, our bakery, sourdough bakery we're 100 plant-based and we did that because we're both vegan but also everyone is welcome at our, our bakery um, and we're located in creekside which is the original village mm -hmm. um, as it expanded over um, in this sort of 70s 80s 90s um, it got moved more north um, so we're the first place you get to um, when you drive up from vancouver and we've got free parking and the gondolas here um, so it's a really nice little village. So you can ski all day. It's the biggest ski resort in North America, I believe. I'm sure I've read that a number of times. And uh, there's lots of terrain. There's two mountains that are linked up by a gondola as well, the peak to peak gondola. And it was an Olympic village. Uh, we had the 2010 Winter Olympics here. 
So you've mm -hmm. got all the different types of alpine sports that you can do in Whistler. Um, there's cross country areas as well for cross country skiers. The lakes freeze in the winter, so you can go skating on them. Oh, you can go snowmobiling here. Um, and it's, I mean, we love the snowboarding. That's what we, we came for. And we love the winter. Um, mm -hmm. For people that aren't into winter, there is a lovely spa called the Scandinav Spa, which is outdoor and has loads of pools. It's in the forest. It overlooks the mountains. It's a pretty incredible place. And there are other activities you can do, like zip lining. You can do that all year round, where you fly around on a rope on the mountains mm -hmm. through the um, forest. It's very safe. I know in some places, like South America, I've heard it's a bit, <laughs> a bit more cowboy, little, but it, it was very, uh, very safe and fun. Um, and then in the summer, as Ed said, you've got the, the mountain biking. So the mountain also becomes the world's biggest mountain bike for downhill biking uh, resort. And then if that's not your jam, um, then you can do lots of trails as well. Um, I have to say the mountain biking in Whistler is quite advanced. So I'm a bit more of a mellow biker myself, mm -hmm. but I have a lot of friends that come here to ski or snowboard and within six months they love biking and they love it more than the, the winter sports, which is really mm -hmm. annoying to me. But that's fine, uh, <laughs> it's fine, I mean, yesterday, there's there's all valley trails and everything yeah. around the golf courses so like tash said if you're just more of a, a cruiser you can cruise around and even yesterday we saw our first bear of the season yeah so we saw a beautiful big bear which is quite early but they love to hang out on the golf courses yeah. and they're just waking up eat all the flowers so again um i think we have three or four golf courses here so if you're a golfer yeah. um there's there's amazing golf here and then there's courses north in Pemberton and south in Squamish so mm -hmm. there's a, a yeah. whole bunch of activities for different ages and you know a lot of people come to Whistler for the wildlife watching there are lots of black bears here um they're not too dangerous obviously every now and then if somebody's trying to feed a bear or do yeah. something stupid something can happen but in general the bears are just wandering around the golf courses wandering around the mountain and they don't really bother the people it's just really exciting to see bears in there sort of I say natural habitat they say that Whistler has more bears than it should because of the golf courses and the ski hills they've got a lot more grass and pasture here which they like so we've kind of created a habitat that's not completely natural because it should all be alpine trees but the benefits are that the bears have got lots of food and mm. and we uh, i think the community here really love the bears and they do a lot to educate tourists things like all the garbage um you can't open it very easily there's a special technique to opening a garbage can mm. in the street like we try to be really bear smart and teach that to yeah. our visitors and for a lot of people, they've grown up in uh, Europe or somewhere where they might not have any bears at all. They come to visit Whistler and it's like a, an experience of a lifetime. So that's yeah. a really cool aspect as well. It's definitely on my mum has only visited in the winter and that was her highlight. She's trying to get here. Obviously, COVID has, has stopped <laughs> any sort of travel, but that's definitely on her top of her list is to see a bear because I send photos and she's like, stop sending photos. <laughs> I want to morning, see it myself. Yeah. Ed was baking the bread in the bakery and a bear came along and licked the window. <laughs> I, I heard a noise. I was sitting down on a on a little stool. I was like, what's that noise? So I looked, peered around the corner and there's a bear licking the window. I, he's I like, I want that bread. And if you put been, some honey on it, it would be great. Yeah, yes. that would have been a good promotional picture. <laughs> 
And I, you know, I love the fact that you talk about also teaching people, you know, more about respect and, you know, understand the reason our garbage cans are difficult to open is because then that doesn't attract the bears to where people are. And, you know, there's a, there's a balance that has to exist between nature and, and wildlife. And if you can keep that balance, then those things are real, they'll, they'll stay with us for the long term. Yeah. Yeah. No, the community take it really seriously. Um, uh, we used to be an Ironman destination because in oh, normal times when you don't have COVID event restrictions and so on, mm -hmm. we have a lot of sports events and festivals here in the summer as well. Nearly every weekend there's something going on. And Ironman was one of those events and it was fantastic. But oh, yeah. unfortunately there was an incident where a mother bear came onto the track and mm -hmm. was put into a cage with her babies. And when oh. she came, when she woke up from the sedation, she rolled onto them and crushed them. And so oh. they, yeah, it was awful. And the, and the community was so upset about it that they actually petitioned Iron Man not to be here. And, and they, yeah. they actually won. And so that was yeah. that was really testament to how much we love sports in Whistler and how athletic we are. But nature, you know, we love nature and it has to come first. And, to come first. Yeah. and yeah, um, there's a balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's really unusual, I think, because, you know, a lot of us live in cities and we don't necessarily have that connection to animals and nature. So when people come here, they get a bit of that. And that, yeah. that's really inspiring. Well, and I, I just wanted to share a quick story because you guys were talking about the zip lining um, because yes. <laughs> uh, in park. Uh, I, so there's certain things I don't like to do. I'm afraid of like I don't really I fly in normal times. I fly 100,000 miles a year. I don't like flying. Um, so you'd be surprised that when my husband and I went to Peru, uh, we were in Lima and I actually went hang gliding. So I literally of my own volition decided to jump off a cliff. Now, granted, I was tied into somebody. So, and the whole time I was like holding on like this, I was excited, but terrified. But my husband had me, um, in park city, Utah at the Olympic village, they have a zip line that goes uh, at the same slope as the, as the downhill big wow. Oh my gosh. I've seen that because Red Bull do a lot of events there. The Whistler people are really into that. Oh, and I, so he's like, we're going to do this. I'm like, okay. Oh. And I'm thinking, I don't want to do this. And we had to stand in line for almost an hour. And oh. I'm thinking the whole time, I hope they close. Cause I knew we were getting closer to closing time. I'm like, I hope they close and say, sorry, nobody else, but no, we get up there and we're sitting in the little things. <laughs> You know, we got the gates and I'm thinking, this is not good. And when the gates open, we dropped and it was the most terrifying plummet for probably, so the whole thing was probably 45 seconds. The first Ages. five seconds, I screamed like I was dying, like just holy terror. And then all of a sudden, when you get past that first five seconds and you kind of level out and now you're going and you kind of, you know, I forced myself to open my eyes and I saw everything and I couldn't stop screaming for joy. <laughs> It was like, I was like, alive. <laughs> yes, we got, I know the feeling. We got down to the bottom and all these people that worked there were standing around watching me laughing hysterically. Yeah. And they said, if we weren't closing right now, we would pay for you to go up and do that again. Oh. <laughs> you stopped the entire park. <laughs> so funny. Ed and I, we will just if we're on a roller coaster or, so, or zip lining or something, we'll just scream because I do think it's more fun when you scream. And we've, I remember, I can't remember what we were doing, but it was something quite mellow. And we were both like, Ray, oh my God. And everyone looks at you and then they feel the energy as well. And I, I love it. It's, there's no point like doing a bungee jump or something and just staying quiet. Like no one wants to see that or experience yeah. that. Got to go okay, for you, it. You guys let me know how that bungee jump goes. I'm not doing that. <laughs> We have one in Whistler, so when you come up, Michael, we'll book you in. 
But we, I don't know what she's talking about because we've never done it. <laughs> but we'll watch you do it. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, you'll shoot. Well, I jump, you'll videotape it. Thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, you got a river, so you kind of you jump off a bridge. Oh, no, yeah. thank you. My husband would love to do that though. So yeah. I was like, okay, let's talk about our life insurance policy. Uh, <laughs> you guys, I could talk to you guys all day and I know everybody's going to want to come up and see you guys in Whistler. And so it sounds like as they drive up there, the first stop is going to be where Creekside. So they're going right. to find you. So first Creek of all, Creek. how else can they find you if they want to look you up right now? Because I know you have a lot of great videos. You've got a lot of great, um, you know, if, exciting things about your bread making, but what's the best way for people to find you and stock you? I mean, you know, appropriately. <laughs> Thank you for asking, Michael. We do have a website. So it's edsbread.com and that's spelt E-D-S-B-R-E-D.com. And we spell bread like the like Ed, because he makes the bread. So that's why there's no A in bread. So edsbread.com. And then we have Instagram is pretty Yeah, so in, Instagram as well. Like if people want to visually, like if they're dreaming about coming, they can't quite travel yet. So um, on Instagram, it's eds underscore bread. So E-D-S underscore B-R-E-D. Um, and yeah, just give us a, a follow and send us a message and say, you know, we, li we listen to you on uh, your podcast. And um, if they've got any questions about baking or you know, they just want to look at the cinnamon buns and things like that. <laughs> and then we'll Don't often like post like activities that we do with our staff or sometimes on the weekend, we'll post, um, you know, a little bit of, of what, what whistlers are like. So oh, I just, I just, hike. I just posted the, uh, the bear video yesterday. Oh, nice. Yeah. nice. <laughs> if you can't I will take a look. Travel, you can travel through our Instagram. <laughs> Excellent. I didn't check out your Instagram yet. I checked out your website. So now I'm going to go there right afterward. And now that you've said cinnamon rolls, and it's right before my lunchtime. You guys are in big trouble now. <laughs> you guys, I love this. Before we go, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? Pearls of wisdom on travel or baking or life? Anything or... in the world that you want to share. World, mm. Words of wisdom from Ed and Tosh. I'll, I'll start with a, a, a baking one. I think persistence is the key. I think... Uh, if you fail, you've just got to, I've definitely learned that in, in baking over the last few years and, and chefing is, is just try, try again and, and don't give up because when you succeed, and I think it is like in life, it's so much more rewarding um, and it gives me so much pleasure. People think, oh, everything I make is, is perfect. It definitely isn't. And I do try and sort of post, you know, my failures as well, because it makes the, um, the wins even more sweet. <laughs> love it. I love it. Tosh, anything from you? I think what Ed just said about baking is something that that we can all all keep remembering is that when you see these perfect lives on on Instagram, and and we have a great Instagram page as well, um, there are often you know cracks behind the scenes. So it's take it with a pinch of salt and and try to get off those phones as well and make sure that you are outside getting some nature, getting some fresh air. It's really important. I think um, even if you just have one hour every day where you maybe go for a walk don't look at your phone i just think even before covid and all of that i that was something that i was doing on the regular and i find that really good for mental health and i think mm -hmm. mental health is is a huge issue that everyone's starting to think about and um we just need to support each other and take time out for ourselves and, and give that technology a bit of a break 
Mm, I agree. I agree so much, which is why it's interesting that the pack your bag series, it was followed by May, which was mindful May. So it's all about taking care of our mental space so that we can go enjoy the world and really be a part of it. You guys, Mm -hmm. thank you. What a pleasure interviewing you today. Thank you so much for being a part of my show. It's been really fun. Thank you, Michael. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees, and sales mixology, why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Make sure to check out our Shock Your Potential app, on-demand professional training resources to help you excel in your career. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.